Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I got to talk to Cliff Wilson. It's been a while and too long for me because I really enjoy the back and forth that me and Cliff have. Um, Cliff is one of the people I've actually managed from the podcast to meet in real life, although I've met quite a few of the people in real life, but we had Cliff over for a seminar a while ago. Maybe there'll be one in future, uh, and it's just been so great to kind of catch up with him and talk about his health and how that's improved over time and the kind of life lessons that that's instilled in him. And we also touch on a book that he's going to be releasing in the near future. Keep your eyes peeled for that because this book sounds like it's going to be really helpful. It's going to be very different to what's out there in the market in terms of kind of self-help books. And uh, I'm very excited for that and lots and lots of lessons and takeaways during this podcast. So I think you're going to really enjoy it. I certainly had a fun time with Cliff. And as a reminder, the mini cut movement is running. So if you would like a group coaching process where you get your training taken care of, there's multiple training splits, male and female, nutrition, pretty much completely taken care of out of your hands you don't need to worry about it and have group support so that if there are any questions or issues that crop up over the period of time you've got support there then definitely hop on board it might be time that you need to chop off a little bit of fat really efficiently so guys without further ado let's get into this chat Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Cliff Wilson back on the show. I think the majority of our listeners will be aware of who Cliff is, but it has been two years, I couldn't quite believe, since we'd spoken and recorded an episode. The last one was with Brett Freeman talking about conditioning, and wow, that I mean, long. the time's flown, right? <laughs> I cannot believe it's been two years. Seriously. It's kind of scary, actually, how quickly I think, particularly, I don't know, when you're busy and you're productive, I guess, I mean, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> so I know you've been up to a, a lot. In fact, this, I mean, every season for you seems to be build upon the last season in terms of like your client accolades and everything like that, which is awesome to see, especially as like, I'm a coach who aspires to that sort of thing. So it's amazing to see someone like doing that consistently, because I think you even maybe said it where you thought, Maybe you'd see a plateau or maybe it would drop off at some point. And actually, this is uh, related sort of. I don't know if you know Jackson Pios. He's done lots of studies surrounding like diet breaks and things along those lines. He's based, well, in Bali, but Australia, most of all. Do you, do you know Jackson? You might have bit, seen his yeah. work. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. he's been he's had bad health. We, we recently recorded an episode surrounding that. And it's yeah funny to see how many things kind of you have in line. But one of his worries was like he would put out a lot of training content and like his physique and like that sort of thing. So he had to really like scramble his brain. Like what, what content can he produce to keep kind of driving clients through and things. And equally with you, I have so much respect because it's so easy when you're unwell or sick and like, I mean, training grounds us all. And it's an anchor for all, all of us. I'm sure you've kind of, um, you know that too, Cliff, but uh, you've managed to keep thriving, which is, yeah, just amazing to see. But anyway, that was a bit of a, a ramble, <laughs> a tangent. In no, a sense. no, I, no, I, I appreciate it. You know, it's like, uh, it, it sounds like a good problem to have because it is, but you know, it's like, I have been in the sport a long time and I made a post about it recently, but it's like you do, I kind of worried that I just got hold of a good, batch of people you know what i mean uh and, and i did but to start my career and they just rattled off a you know ton of wins for you know all, you know eight years or so and i kind of worried as they a lot of them started to retire you know and so i i kind of worried that i would never replicate that again but i was i've been fortunate that the good people attracted good people you know um and so now i have a good young core group that are mid-20s to early 30s and they're like when they speak to me, they don't, I know that I've got a good group. It doesn't even matter about genetic talent. I, I when it comes to coaching, you know, what helps me know we're going to do good things is when they speak in terms of career, not this prep. Um, and they talk about what we're going to do over the next years. And then I'm like, you know, now, now we're ready to roll. You know what I mean? Cause I'm not interested. I mean, yeah, one prep with someone is nice, but especially when you're a coach being able to do two and three and four preps with them, that's when you really start to see the magic happen. Yeah, I, I can, I wholeheartedly agree. I think every kind of uh, coach is, is in the same boat where, 
again, you, it sounds in some ways I'm like, it sounds like we're trying to make a business sales pitch. Yeah, sure. It's great to have a client for a long time. Like, yeah, yeah. paying our bills. But at the same time, you learn them better as an individual. They learn you, you communicate better, you get to experiment with things. And ultimately, like, again, there's only so many ways to kind of skin a cat. But if you're able to work with that individual and you're further and further individualizing things in your protocols, the outcomes are only going to improve. And I think a huge part of coaching is also that relationship. So the longer you get to kind of build that with someone, you you know what to say to that person to get them to do what they need to do. Yeah, yeah. I had a client this year and we and not to take us too far off, but I had a client this year, like our first prep, you know, she was she was she you know, kind of barely won her pro card and then her name is Tori Powell, but she kind of barely won her pro card and then you know, she took second in her pro debut a few years later and we worked, we've been working together eight years and it's just like, uh, it culminated in her winning the IPE world championships in women's physique this year. And it's like, it's amazing to see her go from, you know, that point to just continue to build up, up, up to the, the highest, you know, the highest level in, in that federation, um, which is like an amazing experience, you know, and there've been times where we've definitely butt heads over the eight years, you know, it's not like, I, I always say you don't work with someone that long and you're like, oh, everything is perfect all the time. You know, you, you definitely, we've definitely had points where we're like, no, I think this. And she says, no, I think this. And we kind of butt heads, but we know that we have the same ultimate goal. It's just whether or not we can come to terms on how to get there. Yeah. No, I think that's well stated because, I mean, at the level you're coaching, Cliff, the people you're coaching are highly invested into the process. They're very often very well educated and they kind of, they, they understand a lot of the process and, and what needs to happen. And they're probably keeping up to date with, I don't know, they maybe listen to this podcast or something and they might hear something, whatever it might be. Same with people I work with. So you have to, they come to you with ideas and then it's kind of, you find a middle ground maybe or whatever it, it might be. It's, that's, it's a yeah. conversation. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is a lot of them don't start out that way. Well, you know, a lot of my clients start out as beginners, you know, and I would say like, the conversations we have change over the years, you know, I, I want them to get to the point where they'll argue with me if they feel passionate about something, you know what I mean? Like in the beginning, it's a little bit more of me saying, do this, do this, do this. But then, you know, over the course of three, four years, then I want them to come back with some feedback of, Hey, you know, I like when we do this and I like when we change that. And I'm, you know, it, it becomes more of a conversation at that point. Yeah, no, that makes, and it makes sense actually is because, they, I always say this, uh, especially like with some of my more advanced clients, like I, I'm not in the gym with them, so I can't make those yes. sort of decisions as well as what they could, so long as they understand what they're aiming for in that situation. Because like you said, when they're new, you kind of need to guide them there. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, it's uh, these are elite athletes, and I always say I don't like to micromanage my athletes. I like to let them build. Um, the, the phrase I always use is um, you can't always tell Steph Curry what's a good shot. Um, you know, you can kind of give him principles, but when he's in the game, Steph Curry's got to shoot what he thinks he's got to shoot, you know? And I kind of, I kind of do that with my clients. Like I can't be in the gym with them. They're going to shoot their shots in the gym. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, the, the base of this discussion, although these, I think that discussion was very interesting is we're talking about your health really and, and where you've come from, where you've got to. I believe it's maybe about 20 weeks ago you posted on Instagram saying you're back into the gym lifting. How's that been going for you? I know there's kind of a big backstory there with lots of kind of interesting take-homes that you, I'd be very interested to hear about. Yeah, yeah. You know, so for those that don't know, um, God, oh, geez, about three years ago now, um, my daughter got mono. She was only a baby at the time. Um, my daughter got mono. And, uh, you know, she was so young, she got it from daycare. And so it's like, uh, normal. She was sick for a good two, three weeks. She kind of passed it to, you know, her mom and, uh, my current wife here. And, uh, they got sick, like normal mono, you know, three weeks to a month. And, um, I got it and it just did not go away. <laughs> um, I was sick for about a year with mono, uh, fever pretty much every day, which was brutal. Um, and I'm just going to speed through some of this, but it kind of, uh, I was so sick for so long, it created just a lot of complications. The doctor, the term the doctor used was, uh, my body was ravaged <laughs> by a virus, you know, and I was like dealing with just a lot of weird side effects from like that. They kind of refer to, they refer to it as like a post-viral syndrome is that, uh, like once even after the mono was gone, 
I mean, the year alone of just like completely not training, I was confined to a bed practically for a year, just doing client emails, laying in bed, but, um, weird side effects after like intense fatigue, um, sores, like in my mouth and stuff like that. Um, can't, couldn't even tolerate light cause my eyeballs would hurt. Um, swollen spleen, like you wouldn't believe there was talk of whether or not it had to come out. Um, and so like that lingered for a long time. But another thing that was an issue is that, um, it created an issue with my heart. Um, I suspect there's always been a low level lingering heart issue, but it kind of made it uncontrolled as, um, I have atrial fibrillation where it comes out of rhythm. Um, and, uh, I had an episode, uh, gosh, about a year and a half ago now that, um, I ended up having a stroke as well. And so oh, nice. it's kind of been one thing. Yeah. One thing after another. Oh, <laughs> and so, um, I, I was completely out of the gym for a good two years. Um, just couldn't really train. And I, I wasn't really telling people what was going on because I just was like, you know, I'm going to focus on me. Um, but then when I kind of started to come out of it, I, I had to start somewhere, you know, I, I still deal with the issues with my heart, some of the post viral stuff, but it's like slowly getting better. I'm on a decent amount of heart medication, keeping my heart in rhythm. Um, but you know, it, it started off with the process of just, I'm getting into the gym one day a week, doing one set per muscle group, kind of a half-assed workout, but I'm moving, you know, yeah. um, uh, you know, getting to the point where like, I'm not exhausted, just walking again, you know, I'd get on the treadmill a little bit. Um, and so now I'm back to the point where I can be a little bit more functional and it's made me happy. Some people have told me I look like, I look like a normal off season, natural bodybuilder, which feels great. Again, like I actually have like a little bit of muscle. Muscle memory is a fantastic thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, Cliff. Um, that sounds like nothing anyone would want to go through. I don't think you'd even wish that sort of process on your worst enemy. Cause it's not just the, I mean, the severity was pretty high, but the, the length of time that that lasted to have a fever each and every day, it's yeah, that's not something I'd want to experience. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, there was a point where I definitely, you know, uh, I wasn't saying it, when I, it within that year, because I guess there, there's um, some, there's some rare cases where some people will get mono and their body just essentially becomes over. It's, it's the Epstein-Barr virus that causes it and their body will essentially be overwhelmed and it can cause some serious issues. And I, you know, I, I was thinking it for a while when I was so sick, but I was like trying to still like, you know, show up for my family, you know, luckily, um, you know, I had, I had like daughter, she was about a year old and my ex-wife was super supportive and Haley, my current wife was super supportive. And I kind of had like those two helping me out through the whole process. Um, and so I would, you know, do my work and, you know, take care of my daughter as best I could, but I had so much help in that, but I was thinking it for a while and I didn't want to scare Haley, but I was like, I remember thinking for a while, I was like, I, I don't know if I'm going to live through this. <laughs> I, I know that sounds dramatic, but it was that bad. Like it was so bad. Um, I, you know, and I don't want to like some of the issues I was having, I, I mean, to even go into them, it was just so bad. Like, uh, the fevers would spike so high, you know, and the, it, because it was a virus, there wasn't really a lot they could do. I, I went to the hospital a few times to like, you know, get like IV and stuff like that because also I was having trouble eating because I was having such bad sores in my mouth that, and, um, it was just really, it was wild. It was crazy. And, um, you know, finally after about, all, about nine months of it, I just told Haley, I was like, listen, we need to be honest. I was like, I, I don't even know if I'm going to live through this, you know? And she, you know, she was, you know, I thought well, those words would devastate her, but then she was like, <laughs> she was like i i know you know she's like i've been thinking the same thing and so you know we even took steps to like start making financial arrangements because we just really didn't know what was going to happen to me and um you know probably about three months after all of a sudden i was like i wasn't getting the fevers and it was just like it was the biggest baby steps you could possibly imagine um and all the while trying to still coach was pretty difficult my clients were very forgiving because usually i kind of pride myself on fast response times but you know, I was doing my best, but they, they understood that I would at least get them what they needed when they needed it. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, I, I mean, everybody, everybody around was really supportive, but man, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, it's not a conversation anyone wants to have with anyone in their life, let alone kind of, yeah, the, the partner and with the young child and everything. And then, uh, I think it, again, it speaks to you as a coach in terms of like your clients, I think 
like if if you didn't have the respect and trust of your clients some of them i don't know they might have left you because they they don't have that consistency of you previously but they trust you at this point where it's like oh i know cliff's got my back i know he's going to give me what i need right now he needs me to just accept that he's going to be a bit slow and behind but it's not like like the, I'm going to get Cliff back and he's going to be able to help me again. So that's really nice to hear yeah. that you had that security because I think a lot of coaches listening would probably worry like in that situation. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't think I've ever actually mentioned this publicly, but I'll, I'll it's kind of funny. Um, you know, the virus, actually, the, the, the mono didn't even start to clear up on its own. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, so um, I went to like five different doctors and they're like, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a monovirus. We can't really do anything for it. Um, and I was like, you know, I was frustrated. And so, um, uh, I am surrounded by a lot of smart people. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I consider myself fairly intelligent. Um, my wife is probably one of the smartest people I've ever known. She's, she was going to be a marine biologist, but her degrees in biochemistry, my dad's a PhD and it's in plant pathology, but it's also, you know, you know, it's like epidemiology as well. And, um, and I, so, uh, and I also have a client who is um, a medical doctor. And so I kind of was like picking the brains of everyone I know. And we, we actually found some interesting studies showing that the, the drug that treats herpes, actually, it's an antiviral, actually has some benefit against the monovirus. And so um, we found, and I brought it to a couple of, at first I brought it to a couple of doctors. Now they're like, well, these are kind of obscure studies and we'd need more evidence. And I'm like, I need to try something. Right. Sure, and yeah. so finally I reached out to my client, that's a doctor. And I'm like, Hey, you know, you know, can, can you help me get this treated, get a prescription for this? And he's like, sure. Yeah. He's like, let's, you know, give it a shot. And he's like, sometimes these things that, you know, are, you know, maybe not necessarily for what you're using it for can be helpful. And I kind of went off of a couple of studies and I used like, I used that antiviral, um, in pretty high dosages. And, um, that's when the fever started to break within like two weeks of using it. Um, and so we kind of self-treated, <laughs> yeah. we self-treated it and it worked though. It, it was the thing that actually kind of like helped me starting the process of turning around and getting healthy again. Um, so it was, you know, it was, and and my brother's a pharmacist, so I had like the right people around me. Sure. And, but it was frustrating because I, you know, I think a lot of doctors are used to like somebody coming in that isn't gonna like take control of their health in their own hands. And I literally like, brought the studies in to show you know a few of the doctors, and they're like, "Well, I need more evidence." I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" I'm like, "You prescribe, you know, if somebody comes in and says I have herpes, they'll give this medication to them in a heartbeat." You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I like just let me try it. You know, um, and so that was the thing that uh, got me got me turned around. That's uh, crazy, and again, credit to you and the people you're surrounded by. But uh, yeah, I guess if you're at the point where you're like nothing's working, you feel helpless, you're worried like the worst is going to happen. You're willing to try anything, especially. I imagine I don't know. With the da- do you, you took into consideration the risks and the downsides of taking such a thing anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. And and the risks were fairly minimal. You know, the only thing I was risking was like, um, I was taking some fairly high dosages of it, but like, um, the risk was just, um, you know, a little bit of kidney liver issues, but I mean, the the risk was so minimal. And I, like I said, I even ran it by my brother, the dosages, because, you know, he's, he's a nuclear pharmacist. So he was pretty familiar with the the toxicity issues. So, um, yeah. And so I was like, you know, not, not a problem at all. And so it, it went really well. And then, you know, I tapered off the dosages, I started to get better. And then I just was able to stabilize after that. <laughs> do you think your reaction to mono was mostly genetically driven? Or do you think there was any other like outside influencing factors that could have put you in a worse position? I do think it was, um, I mean, well, two things. One, I do think is a little bit of both. Uh, one, I think it was some genetics because I've always just gotten sicker than most when you know i i I don't get sick terribly often but whenever whenever somebody in my life would get sick like oh here we go (laughs) because um they'll get it and they'll get you know sore throat maybe a fever of like 101 i know if i get it it's gonna be like really bad sore throat fever of 103 been that way since i was a kid um so i think that that that's a factor like I, I seem to always just have a really strong response when i get sick um it was also a very stressful time when i got sick 
um, you know, it, it's, you know, it, I was, um, for those that don't know, it's like, sounds like such a messy situation, but my, me and my wife at the time were going through a divorce. Uh, we had a newborn baby, which complicated things. And we were as amicable as, amicable as could be. We're still amicable. We're, you know, she just came over to our house for Christmas Eve. Um, and, you know, it's like, that's like such a stressful situation, you know? And so I think that an already immune system that I have combined with stress and I wasn't sleeping as much because I have a baby at home, you know? And so um, it was just, I think it was the combination of these things that was like probably too much. Yeah. No, I can, I can totally see that. I guess it makes, it makes complete sense. It's always going to be a combination of factors. I just wondered if, I don't know, uh, my head goes into things that I see you putting out there in terms of like your work ethic. And I don't know how, if there's, there's nights of sleep that aren't as good and whether you thought oh. there was any chance that had any influence there, like the, your, your drive to work. Yeah. You know, I work a lot, but interestingly enough, so I, I, I guess everything's all relative. So I work a ton, but I also always make sure in my sleep, my daughter has always slept well. Um, I've been so fortunate. There's probably some parents that would kill me if they knew how she slept so easily through the night from such a young age. But um, I, I've always slept like eight to nine hours of sleep, you know, a night. Um, it's usually shifted. Like I'm more of a night owl, but I make sure I get the eight you know, eight at least. Um, but, and I'm usually a very low stress person. So it's also possible that being in like a situation where I don't, I, how do I put this? I'm usually not somebody that feels like any stress. Like I was, I'm a zero stress person. So I was also in a situation where I was actually feeling stress for, which is such an odd sensation for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so um, it's possible that, you know, it's just like just such a new sensation for me. Um, and uh, so I think that that was a big factor um, because for me, um, and this may sound weird, but sometimes I, I enjoy work much, um, not just the work that I, but any work that I'm passionate about. Um, it actually feels more stressful to me to not do it. You know, it's yeah, more sure. like doing work never feels stressful to me. I, you know, sometimes when people talk about like, oh, they're grinding and this and that, I never feel grinding. Go working a lot um, on something I'm passionate about, at least, doesn't feel like grinding. It feels like just jumping into a river and letting it take me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so, um, but I do always try to find like a good work life balance. I think it's like, you know, appropriate for everybody. You know, my, yeah. uh, my wife, Haley, she understands I'm going to work more than most, but she also knows like when I'm spending time with the family, um, this is probably due to the low stress side of me, but when I'm spending time with my family, I'm not thinking about work at all. You know, it's like, you know, now it's family time. My phone's not near me. I don't even think about it. Like there's nothing on my mind except family. So I think I can sometimes get away with working a little bit more because it doesn't bleed into my, my family life at all. That makes a, a ton of sense. And I, I think myself and maybe a lot of the listeners included are, are jealous of you being so low stress. <laughs> I wish I was that chilled all the time, but I can't say I am. Um, but I'm oh. glad to hear that you're taking care of your stress and your sleep and everything as well for you yeah, and your situation. Well, well, it's kind of funny. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar in like the psychological, it's, it's, you know, sometimes people like the Myers-Briggs personality test, but yeah. that's not really accepted all that much in like um, psychological research. Um, but the, the one that is like a, a bit more of a personality test in the, is the, um, the big five personality traits. Sure. It's a little bit more accepted in the, in, in the research. Um, and so, um, so uh, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I took it one time. I, I was less familiar with it until Haley, my wife, introduced it to me. So I took it. And one of the personality traits is neuroticism. And, you know, like, you know, usually you score anywhere from, you know, it, it's on a scale of 100%. And, you know, so, uh, you know, you score somewhere in between a zero and 100. I scored a zero percent on neuroticism. <laughs> and um, she goes, she goes, she looked at it. She goes, you bastard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I'd hate to think where I'd score on neuroticism. I think that's like a strong trait <laughs> of mine, unfortunately. Um, but um, so I guess 
that people will be thinking now for you, Cliff, where does this leave you kind of, are you at a point where things are still continuing to improve? Where do you see your future? And uh, I guess after that, we can talk about maybe some of the lessons that it's brought to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's been the hardest part, the word you use there, future. (laughs) Because I, this whole time, you know, one of the hardest parts mentally was, um, okay, so first, the hard part was, am I going to live through this? Um, You know, there's the question of, do I have any future at all? Um, Then once I started to improve, um, it kind of became okay, what does life look like from here? There were a lot of questions in my head um, because, I mean, I was so, I was at such a low point. I mean, I posted some photos. My my normal walking around off-season weight was like 190 to 195, maybe up to 200 pounds, you know. Uh, I was up to 240 because I was like bedridden for a year. I was up to 240, you know, and I, it was just, um, I was really out of shape. And so I guess it was kind of the question of bodybuilding was so far from my mind. Um, once I started to improve, I was like, I just need to get a normal life going again. <clears throat> um, of course, like I had thoughts of, will I ever compete again? But I tried to like put those out of my head. Mm-hmm. I just need to focus on one step at a time, which was like get healthy um, to be able to like uh, just interact with the world again um you know like one of the hardest things was that some of my daughter's first words were daddy's sick and daddy's tired those were like the first words she said about me which was not fun to hear you know Mm. um and so um i kind of wanted to undo that memory of me yeah um because i usually throughout my life one thing that i'd always kind of um felt like I had was an energy to me, you know? And so, I mean, I, I just had zero energy at all. And so, um, so I was kind of focused on that, but, you know, still always the linking question of what does this look like long-term? Um, I didn't know how in shape I would be able to get again. And that also led to lingering questions of my work. You know, um, if I'm, you know, I mean, traveling was so hard. I tried traveling a few times in those early days of being a little bit healthier and it was just so brutal. Um, you know, it's like, I was just exhausted and I would have, you know, issues with like, I couldn't even go out during the day cause my eyes were hurt. So it's like, um, I questioned, could I continue to coach people if one, I'm like out of shape and I'm never going to events, you know, would I continue to have people contact me for coaching if I'm not doing this and I'm not seeing anywhere it's not like it would, people would stop instantly, but would my clientele just dwindle over time? Um, so there was questions of that, <clears throat> just a lot of, a lot of questions about future. So it's kind of been, I, I, I try to, I've tried to, you know, it's natural to like look toward the future and think to yourself, what does my life look like five years from now? And I've kind of always shied away from making long-term plans to a degree. Um, just for multiple reasons, which I kind of feel are, are, um, you know, beneficial, but I've really had to like really hardline that even more is like, try not to even look more than six months in the future, you know, just focus on like what I can do today. Um, you know, it's like there, my health is getting to the point where sometimes my uh, mind entertains the idea of competing again. Um, you know, even if I was not what I was when I do it, it would be nice to just, get up there and at least in my mind competing again even if I wasn't what I was it would feel like a completion of a comeback in a sense do you know what I mean Um, if I could just get up on stage so there's a part of me that one day would like that would like to one day do that luckily I have a I for the heart issue I have a good cardiologist she's like a seven-year-old Indian woman and she really understands that I'm an athlete as well um when i when i yeah when i walk in walk into her office i see her every three months and when i walk in the first thing she says so how's training and so i'm like (laughs) this is this is my kind of doctor you know um so uh but you know it's um i'd be lying if i said there's not a part of me that would like to get up on stage you know at that point it's shifted in terms of that like maybe it's not for the goal of winning a title anymore 
honestly, even bringing my best, <laughs> you know, because my best may be behind me. I don't know. But just for the purpose of completing a comeback. Um, but right now, um, I would say my most immediate step is I'm trying to enjoy training again. Um, that sounds bad. It feels good to get in there and move and everything, but anybody who enjoys training knows that part of the fun of training is actually like going in there and working hard. And this whole process, um, I've been able to work harder and harder in the gym, but it's this constant process of holding myself back, which I mean, nobody likes deload workouts. You know, I'm like, I'm on a constant deload to one degree or another. And so, you know, cause I, and the hard part is sometimes on a given day, I feel like I can get in there and I can just do it. And my strength is still pretty good. And so it's hard when you have some energy and you feel like you could do it, but you know, you run the risk of your heart coming out of rhythm. You know that you'll have those post viral symptoms show up in one to two days after because you just can't recover like you used to. So it's, it's, it's not as fun to get in the gym and just hold yourself back perpetually. So it's like my most immediate term in terms of training is just to get in there and hopefully get to a point where I don't have to always hold myself back, you know, maybe have some sessions where I can just train hard and enjoy it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like your body is in this heightened state of just, it feels everything. Like if we travel, sure. I, I, I get a little bit tired. I notice the time difference, but it's not like a overwhelm. Like I didn't, the, the sun outside isn't causing me a problem. Like it's, it's absolutely fine. That's in, in fact, it's helping kind of entrain circadian rhythms or whatever again. But for you, like every little thing for you sounded like it was, and getting back into the gym, holding yourself back. Absolutely. It. Like I, I can see how frustrating that absolutely can be. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, the hypersensitivity Um, and, and there's certain weird sensations that I felt really strongly getting back into the gym and I still feel them, but just not as much like, um, first got into the gym, it would be like, I knew I would hit to the point. I don't even know what this is, but one of the things that tells me when I'm hitting my tipping point, like I need to cut this session off is that, um, like, have you ever done when you, you know, when I was healthy, did you ever do those sessions where, um, you would train so hard, like probably in your, you know, everybody has their young and dumb training days where you would just like overdo it, obliterate yourself into, but you would like start to become sore in the session. You know what I'm talking had, about? Like, yeah, I've had close to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but like that, I remember that feeling like from back in my 20 years old. Right. Um, but I can get that sometimes from just like, four or five sets and there's a point where doing a set and i'm like i'm starting to get sore um and it feels like a soreness that is like deep down in the muscle tissue just from four or five sets not to failure not even close to failure and when i start feeling that i'm like i gotta stop you know i've got to stop this is something you know you know i I, you, you get signals and you're right. Everything is just hypersensitive. And um, it took me a while to learn those signals, you know, because there's this old school, like there's this old mindset that creeps in of just like you push through it. Push through it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and, you know, in the early days of getting back in the gym, you know, it's like I need to I, I had to change my way of thinking like, no, you don't push through it. You know, there's pushing through it is not helpful in this in this scenario. And so um, now I. You know, it, it sucks because sometimes I'll feel good. I'll feel like I'm going to get to the gym and I'm going to have like a maybe a little bit more intense session. And I'll, well, I'll literally get in there and I'll do three sets and I start to feel that feeling. And I'm like, I got to shut it down, especially if I want to try to train again in maybe two days. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, and you kind of, you kind of, you know, you, it, it sucks because, you know, I, I, I also, uh, at my gym, some of the people kind of know me, you know, and they may or may not know the health issues I'm going through. And so, so like, sometimes I feel like they're probably like, you know, what the hell is Cliff doing? He just uh, walked in, did three sets and walked right out. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where um, it's definitely been an ego check. And I, I mentality that works for me, um, you know, maybe this starts getting into your question of like, what have I learned? And I, I feel like, um, 
truthfully, uh, how do I put this? And I said this at the risk of sounding arrogant. I don't know if I learned a whole lot in terms of things I hadn't already been thinking or doing, but it was definitely a test of mentality, a mentality that I've been honing for a lot of years. Um, I, I, and it was a test and it kind of made me dug, dig my heels in and maybe go further into that mentality. And I guess like an explanation of kind of what I was going into just now is that um, if I'm going to talk about one thing I always preach to my clients, one thing I, I think that's usually a very difficult mindset is like when I'm dealing with a person's identity, right? Um, bodybuilders have big identity issues. I'm sure you have seen this. You know, they're like, I'm a bodybuilder. I'm tough. You know, they, they view themselves as a bodybuilder. And actually what um, identity marker that um, I think can be a negative sometimes is when people have this identity of themselves as I'll always be the hardest worker. Um, because it works to a point and it's detrimental thereafter. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you're always just trying to prove you're the hardest worker, you know, sometimes you're missing out on effective work. Um, and, and, uh, you know, cause sometimes, sometimes you'll make better progress, not being the hardest worker. You know, you need yeah. to take days off. You need to rest. You need to sometimes sit and relax. Um, so one thing I've always done for the last several years even before i got sick was i when i would get that vibe from somebody they've got to be the hardest worker you know i'm always grinding and i'd say why don't we start changing you being i am the guy that's the hardest worker i'm the girl that's the hardest worker um why don't you start changing that identity to i'm the person that'll always get the job done even if sometimes that means doing less or i'll do whatever it takes to get the job done you know, even that, if that means resting, you know, I'll, I'll do what others won't um, yeah. because that's a more effective mentality. And um, it's like, I'd kind of been using that for several years. And so it became a useful tool and I had to like dig in more on that for myself. I kind of always adopted that in work and in training. And I kind of needed to do that with health. I kind of needed to take a lot of things that I'd learned from bodybuilding and training and work and like start to apply it to my health because it needed it, you know? And so um, there was a point where I was like, um, I, I told, I told Haley, I was like, I need to start. Um, <clears throat> I need to start working on applying all that to my health. And I would say like, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll be the, I'll do whatever it takes to get healthy. That means one day a week for six months, you know, and that was hard and I'll do what it takes, uh, with my health. And that means, you know, uh, taking the financial hit and we hired like a nanny to come for a while to like take some of the stuff off my shoulders. You know, it's like you, you, you set these things up. And so it, that was probably the thing that, that was hard just like I had like the tools in place, the infrastructure for the mentality that I needed, but it was hard for me to be like, no, I need to be even more this way or apply some of these things to my health as well as my, my work and my bodybuilding. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger. I think that's a, a great lesson and like you said there's there's so many probably bodybuilders and people listening who completely understand your point there 
and probably find themselves too often feeling like they want to be the hardest worker in the room and like it's nice to have a nice mentality shift there where it's not like i don't know it's like calling a versus calling a, a deload a deload week calling it like some people say as a reload week like we're reloading for the next it's like changing it into a positive almost so it's like we all know we need to deload like reload it because it's going to lead to more success moving forward it's like it still sounds very hardcore to say i'm willing to do whatever it takes to get to the outcome like you said because that includes pulling back and doing things that to us feels foreign and uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, along with that, like, uh, I would also say, um, patience. Like I had to, I have always been a pretty patient for anybody who's a natural bodybuilder is already patient. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if you're a natural bodybuilder, you're already pretty patient, but I had to like, um, I had to embrace patience and nonlinear progress. Um, like to the max because you know i mean when you're lifting there's always some non-linear in nature because you know sometimes you'll hit a pr or you know you then you you won't hit it for a while and then you know we're, we're bodybuilders we get super lean and then we take a couple years off season we won't get that lean again for a few years but it was very difficult to sometimes be like um you know sometimes i would train with a certain degree of intensity and i needed to be okay with being like maybe I won't hit that intensity for two more months again, you know, maybe, maybe that intensity. I actually got to the point where I would train, train like two days. Train. I would train again. I, I don't know why in the early going, but I would feel my worst two days after training um, rather than the day after. So, so I got to the point too, where I would play like two days in a row. And then I would take like five days off. Um, because it also found that I found that then I could schedule my, my check-ins for work. Like once I started to feel a little bit better after those two training days, like I would kind of push them all together. And I was, I was working some weird schedules there to make it all, <laughs> make it all work. I'd played around with a lot of things, but, um, you know, and it was, it was difficult because, you know, you'd want to train more consistently and sometimes you'd be like, oh, I'm going to take 10 days off here and then, you know, get back to it just when you started to feel normal. And it really made me like, <clears throat> um, I kind of just started telling myself, like, I'm not looking to the future at all. I'm not even looking to next week. I would <clears throat> sometimes also just be like, I'm going to wake up every morning and I'm going to do what I can do that day. And I'm going to view it as, <laughs> it, sounds so, it sounds so weird, like weird self-talk here, but it, it was helpful. I would tell myself, um, progress isn't good sounds weird but i would say progress isn't good um i really the progress wasn't good the process was good and so i would tell myself getting better wasn't what i was after doing more than i did before wasn't what i was after all i was after was waking up and doing what i could do that day and um i would wake up some days i couldn't do anything and i would tell myself if you can't do anything training wise that's good too because you're recovering um, and then I'd wake up the next day, I can go to the gym and I can do three sets. That's good because it's what I can do today. And it was like the most simple, you know, approach, right? Wake up each day and do what you can do. And then, um, before you know it, what you can do happens to be more than it was two months ago. And, um, and it was, it was like the most day by day baby step process I could possibly explain and it was frustrating at times and sometimes i have to catch myself like stop looking that way or that way just today you know yeah it sounds very stoic in terms of focusing on what you can control don't focus on what you can't and also like process oriented thinking versus goal driven and do you think having the background of bodybuilding and going through like contest preps and working with people through that Though it sounds like some of the tools you even picked up during that really actually assisted you through the recovery process and just made you lean on them more. It, it really did. You know, I, I think we've even done a lot in a lot of our previous interviews. Like we've talked about process over, you know, over the result. And so it was that, but just to the max. I mean, it was, it was, it was getting to the point where it was like, I would even, you know, I couldn't even look to the next day, you know, bodybuilders lay out there like training splits. Yeah. Um, I could, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do a training split. Um, and not only that, I would even sometimes walk into the gym, not knowing what I was going to train until I went through like a warm up and seeing what muscle group felt like it could 
handle it. You know, um, it was, it, I mean, it was almost hour by hour process based. It was, it was weird. Um, and so, uh, and then there'd even be other times where I'd wake up and I'd be like, I don't know if I can train the day. So then I'd kind of like, okay, what do I have to do to give myself a chance to train today? Um, okay, let's eat breakfast. Let's see. Um, a nap would probably help, you know, so I'd take a nap, you know, <laughs> and it would just be like, and then after I'd wake up, give a yes or a no. I mean, it was, it was real paint by numbers to the next step. Um, and just trying not to look too far ahead, because if you start looking too far ahead, um, as bad as this sounds, because I know a lot of people really thrive on, on hope, <laughs> but, um, I think hope can be dangerous as well because if you know if you get your hopes up for a training session tomorrow and it doesn't happen when you enjoy it, um, that's then that's something you have to recover from too mentally. Um, so it was like it was very live in the now. Don't you know? Don't focus on hope. Don't focus on the future. Just focus on now. And um, and it was it was also good too because I've always kind of been I've always kind of been that way. But I, once again, I just had to take it to a new level because. But also, it was also it was beneficial because I got to the point where, you know, in the early days, I couldn't play with my daughter. Um, I actually remember the first time when she was, you know, old enough where I actually played with her outside um, because I was finally healthy to do healthy enough to do it. And so it really does kind of like. Also, I was like this now this is good too you know it's like i wasn't even focused on doing this or that i was just playing with my daughter or um going on a date with my wife you know like i i there was a while where we couldn't go out anywhere so now i can do those things and it's really carried over in that i am much more appreciative of these moments because they were taken from me um anybody who's ever gotten like you ever get a, like a cold or a sore throat or something like that and then after you get well you're like how good is it to breathe through my nose again <laughs> or like feel healthy again it's like that but it's lingering years after now i'm like very appreciative of all these like normal things that i get to do again yeah yeah i i can completely see that it kind of it forces you to really take perspective and be mindful of all of that as well and i think that is something again some of the younger bodybuilders possibly get into i certainly was probably there at some point and maybe at risk of slightly being there a little bit still now in terms of like your being you're the bodybuilder and that is kind of who you are and it's like when that's all stripped away from you what do you have left and so that's kind of what it did for you is i mean everything was almost stripped away for you but you had other things that kind of kept you centered and grounded in that sense which is really good yeah yeah i you know and it's one thing that was a very um you know we had kind of talked about this when we were setting up this but um it was also helpful for me i did while i was sick because i was like bedridden and it was hard at times i had to rewrite some of it because i was like you know fevery <laughs> but and i i did write a book way at it slowly while i was sick and it was um therapeutic in some ways because it allowed me to it was a mentality it's a mentality book and and i kind of um it allowed me to really kind of root in on what i know to be effective um from a mental state and so it was kind of perfect timing because it was therapeutic to be able to like write what i know um and i would write it and then i'd kind of be forced to like it'd be fresh in my mind and then it's like okay now i gotta go live it <laughs> you know um it, it it was it was helpful and so yeah it, it's i think that you mentioned the identity portion it's like i kind of talk about this a lot with my bodybuilders with identity is that um there are certain identity things that really sound cool you know i'm i'm a bodybuilder i'm the hardest worker in the room but it's like you have to have more things holding up your sense of self um, because, you know, if the, and it's weird because I used to talk about this. I, I If you look back, you may even remember I have posts like, you know, I feel like if something happened uh, where you couldn't body be a bodybuilder anymore, like how long is it going to take you to recover from that? You know, and it's like, um, it's a, of course, anybody who's a bodybuilder and cares about it, that's a blow, you know, that's a blow. but. I think that if you have other things holding up your sense of self, you know, relationships or values or um, interests or hobbies, um, it, it 
it just makes you that much stronger. Um, you know, sometimes people get this idea that like, I'm so focused on my bodybuilding. I don't care about anything. I don't need anybody. I just need to bodybuild. Um, and you know, they think that sounds cool. When I hear that stuff. I think to myself, very fragile, you know, like, and I don't mean it as an insult. I mean it as a literal, like, it's not going to take much to knock you off your center and you're going to have to, you're going to be struggling to pick up the pieces. Um, you know, the best bodybuilders that I have ever worked with, when I say best, I mean, yeah, usually they've done quite a bit on stage, but also the people that get the most out of themselves, bodybuilding, you know, family, work, they have like these, this well-rounded piece um, because it's like, you know, if, if they get an injury that way, if they get an injury uh, or they get or bad placing, you know what they do? They go, right you know onto the you know not a big deal but people that are only bodybuilders um they get a bad placing and what do they do they binge eat and they take them a month to recover from a bad placing um and so i think that the more people can kind of like they'll be more resilient if they can have other things that prop up who they are rather than i'm the hardest worker and i'm a bodybuilder yeah, I think that's, it's so well said. Uh, I think it's very easy for people because bodybuilding is inherently quite a selfish thing, but to put your eggs all in that basket, like that's a very tricky thing to to go and do. I know you mentioned the book and we probably haven't got a ton of time to dig into it and maybe we'll do another episode at some point. Do you have a title for it out of interest? You said it was a mentality book. I don't, I'm wondering I, if I, I have a feeling of I, a title, but I don't know if it is this. <laughs> no, I, I do have a title. Um, all right maybe we can do it on the next one i'll share it because i okay, want to cool. get, i want to make sure i got the rights to it and everything like that um, okay but uh but no I, i'm i'm excited for it like i said i've been done with it um the, so i'm self-publishing this one i went with a publisher for my first book um yes. which i'm glad i did because it got accredited you know through uh you know the issn and all the major sanctioning you know groups and everything but this one it's a little it's a mentality book essentially i've tried to take like I had the idea before i got sick but it was, I wanted to compile because I do so much work with my clients on like trying to instill the right mindset into them. And it's not just these traditional um, motivation books. Honestly, they piss me off. I mean, it's, it's real. You know what it is? It's rah, rah, locker room, pep talk stuff. Sure. You know, it's like, get out there and take life by the balls and you can do <laughs> this. And, you know, it, it, it's real. I mean, it's, it, it's real annoying to me. It's not, it's not an actual analysis of like what drives human behavior. And so um, I spent so many years trying to like nudge clients in one direction or the other. And I just thought it would be good to kind of put everything into a book that I try to instill in my clients in terms of, you know, principles, behavior, actions, thoughts. Um, and it borders, my wife read it and she had a great point. She said, she said, if it kind of crosses between psychology, cause I do have a lot of cited sources, I think well over a hundred, um, psychology research combined with maybe a life philosophy and, um, and it's, you know, it, my hope, my hope with it is that, um, I don't want, and I didn't write it in a way because also another thing that I don't like is how. Sometimes people write books that are more um, step-by-step guides, you know, sure. 10 rules for this, or I don't, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is provoke thought. I'm not even saying that you need to do everything that I write down here. I'm trying to get you to think about the way you do things and tell you what I do and what I've found to be effective. And then you can use what works and, you know, discard what doesn't. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 I self-publishing it with that anyway i'm self-publishing it so i finished it a while ago but i underestimated how long the um editing process would actually take huh. um and so I'm, I'm almost done like we're right there um and then it's just very then cool. it's pre-sale but yeah so i'm, I'm pretty excited at, at the risk of like propping it up it's probably at least whether or not other people like it for me it's the thing that i did i'm i'm probably proudest of Oh, that's, I mean, that's, that says a lot uh, because you you have a lot of things that you've done uh, that I could think of that you'd be proud of. So uh, that's really cool. Do you have any um, chapters and like, do you have chapter titles? Can you share those? Can you share one that's maybe your favorite? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I, what I did was I, each chapter, I have like an intro chapter 
But then I have um, each chapter thereafter is dedicated to the characteristic, the characteristics that I think make someone mentally tough, formidable. Um, so the first chapter is all about motivation. Um, and, and each chapter builds on and ties them together, by the way. So it's like they have to go in this order, essentially. But motivation is the the after the intro chapter. And then it goes to confidence and then resilience. Um, because I always say, like, you know, those two, like, for example, tie together. You can't be motivated unless you're confident. Like, you're not going to be motivated to do something unless you're confident you can produce some sort of positive outcome. You know what I mean? So that's why they tie together confidence and motivation and then resilience. Um, if you're only confident until you meet a hardship, you're not really that confident. Do you know what I mean? So those two tie together. And then discipline, discipline, kind of an offshoot of all those, really. Um, and then the final chapter, which I really like. Um, my favorite's probably the final one. It's probably the other one, the one that people will dislike the most or fight <laughs> me on the most. Um, but the last one is um, titration. Um, most people consider, I use, I'm using this as a personality trait. But for those that are familiar with the term titration, they'll think of it in terms of like chemistry or medicine, where you can, um, it means to continually measure and adjust to the balance of. Um, so like if somebody is sick, you know, a doctor will titrate their medication based on their condition. Um, and so, but I use that as a personality trait um, often with my clients. Um, I want individuals who are titrating. They will continually measure and adjust the balance of themselves and the path they are taking. Um, and so, you know, one of the worst things that I get when clients tell me is uh, I'm a type A personality. I get after it. And I always tell them, well, maybe try not to be the same way in all situations. You know what I mean? Like uh, most, the most effective individuals are titrating. They, sometimes you need to kick in the front door of a situation. The other time is you need to ring the doorbell. You know what I mean? Um, and so um, I want individuals who are titrating and I want them to also be able to titrate their path. Um, there is a lot of interesting research that shows that people that are heavily goal motivated, um, they do get moving, but their results are oftentimes lesser than someone who is much more process oriented. So sometimes I want people to be able to work towards um, an improved competence level and not necessarily work towards a specific outcome, just be better, you know? And so um, that's probably the one I, I back it up with a lot of research some cool research be even based on like um artificial intelligence uh some cool research from military training um but i i'm i think i'm gonna i even put some history into the books uh into the book and so um i think it'll be different but i i think it'll be an interesting read and um gives people some things to think about i like the sound of it i'm sure a lot of the listeners will as well especially if Again, a lot of um, kind of bodybuilding coaches who look up to yourself, I think it's probably something they'd be very interested in, kind of getting into your mind and what's been useful to you as a, as a coach, because I'm sure many of the lessons in there you've applied to your career as a whole, because I mean, it's a large part of what who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. And you know, that was another reason I wanted to write it. Like, I, I wanted to write this book too, is that um, sometimes I think put too much on coaches to fix all of their motivational and you know psychological deficiencies um you know i'm not and so i want i wanted to create something you know so i have my bodybuilding book and a lot of times i know coaches will read it and they'll learn from it and they'll apply um but my it's hard for coaches i understand that it's hard for coaches to recommend my book because you know, every coach has their own way of doing things. And so if their client reads my book, then they're going to have to be like, well, why do you do this when Cliff says this? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I understand that my book is hard for coaches to recommend to their clients and sometimes in an educational fashion. But this, I don't write it from the perspective of, I, I only, I think I reference powerlifting in a once. Um, that's it. Um, because I wanted it to be something that when, coaches have these clients that are continually under motivated not confident they crumble at a, the first you know hardship they i want this to be something they can hand over to their clients and put some of that responsibility on them to better themselves 
and and once again, I, I wrote it. I wrote it in a fashion that's not this rah rah locker room pep talk. Um, I always call that superficial. You know, that's superficial motivation. Um, a lot of motivational books, you know, they'll get you moving for a month. You know, maybe two until you got to read the next book. Um, I, I that was never in my intent with this thing. And often the title of the book gives you everything that the book has in one go. Just like that that title, I just read that book for how many days and it's literally the title of the book gave me everything. Uh, actually, I guess that brings me, <laughs> you, you might have alluded to it there, Cliff. Do you have a target person in mind or audience in mind for the book who, if you're thinking this is who I would say would really benefit from this? Because I'm kind of thinking the listeners would, but there might be a person you're specifically thinking of. You know, no, I, I mean, it's somebody... No, I I wrote it in a manner that I didn't want there to be a target audience, essentially, <clears throat> um, because uh, because I do think the stuff applies the stuff in there applies broadly um, to whatever you want to work towards. Um, essentially, it's you know it, it's a self improvement in the terms of how you go about life, and then you can aim it in whatever direction you want. And, you know, I, I wrote it with that in mind. And the thing that made me happy is I've had a few people review it. I had my dad do the first pass of editing, um, because he was, he was a scientific editor. Um, and so, and he's a great writer. Um, he has a, a history of writing. And um, probably one of the better compliments I've ever gotten was that he, after he read it, I mean, first off, my dad is a harsh editor. I mean, he, I mean, there was like no sentence untouched. He's always edited <laughs> anything you've ever written by me. If it's, you know, it's like, uh, books or, um, articles or whatever. My dad's always edited it for me. And so, but he always, a lot of it. Right. But, um, but it, it's good. But after he read it, you know, um, he even started applying to some different types of work and stuff like that. And he was even, cause he's been retired for a while now as a plant pathologist, but he's like, you know, I was wanting to get back into it. And he goes, he goes, there were a few things in your book that really helped me kind of hone in on what I wanted and how to go about getting it. And, um, so far, ev the only handful of people have read the book. You know, you never know. You never know if they're just saying, oh, I like it because, you know, they they sure. know you, you know. But so far, the thing that's made me happiest is not that they've said they like it after they read it, is that everybody that's read the book, all of them have come back, you know, maybe a month later. And just said, you know, you said something in there that I applied in this way. They've actually told me in the ways that they've applied it, which has been very, I, I've been very gratifying to hear because that's what yeah. I want. I want people to think like it didn't just motivate them to get out there and be like, yeah, I'm going to go attack the world. It was like they digested it for a while and then they used it. You know, that's, yeah. that's what I want. Yeah. No, I, that makes a ton of sense. And uh, yeah, it sounds great. I'd be very interested to, to see it when it comes out. Which I guess yeah, leads me I, to the question of do you do you have an idea of when it might be available to the public? Is it ebook or is yeah. it gonna be it sounds like it's gonna be a hard copy, is that right? I'm gonna do both because I mean okay. half my over half my following is not in the US anymore. Yeah. And so I you know I can't it'll be hard too hard to ship them over there. So um, I'm gonna do ebook and hard copy. Um I'm aiming for a pre-sale on April first. Um so coming soon. And then uh yeah, and, and it's and it's even kind of funny. I, I as a, as a kind of a disclaimer too, and it's one thing that's kind of, so at one point I did look into hiring an editor rather than just using the people close to me in my circle to edit it along with myself. Um, but I found that everybody was like, well, you can, you can judge up the language here and you know, you can really like have more impact statement here. And they, um, and the funny thing is that I, Oh, and, oh, and I did have it reviewed um, by a psychologist to make sure I didn't have any gaps in my knowledge. So I had the content cool. reviewed by a psychologist. And, um, but uh, I specifically actually wrote it in a way to avoid emotional charge. Um, you know, that, that's, it, it may sound funny because a lot of times people are like, you need to write this book that's emotionally charged and emotionally impactful. Trying to get away from these typical motivational books, I actually specifically wrote it in a manner just to give an example, because I, I, I want to explain to people like why I did this, but a lot of motivational books use the word you a lot, right? Um, you need to get out there and take charge of your life and you need to go, you know, grab life by the horns and this. Um, I was very careful. I, it's not, I, I don't completely avoid the word you in the book, 
but um, I use it very sparingly because I'm trying to avoid that emotional charge. I want the information to be thought on and digested and used for its own merit, not, you know, just this thing that emotionally charges you up and makes you feel like you should take action. Um, and so like, that's why it's even also taken longer in the editing process is because the tone of the book between me and the few others that are editing it has been carefully picked over um, and how we want to uh, address it. So that's also why it's been taking a while <laughs> in the editing process. I like that because it feels like those kind of self-help books are saturated and they're very, very samey. So to have, I guess, almost a disruptor of your book being there, I, th I think that'll be nice to see and refreshing for people to, to kind of get hold of. So I guess uh, potentially when, when it comes out, we can bring you back on and talk about it. But if people want to keep up to date with when it might be available, if they want to kind of keep up to date with what's happening with you and uh, I don't know, maybe they're a competitor and they're interested in coaching with you, where should they kind of head? Um, uh, if you, if you want coaching, uh, definitely go to my website. It's uh, teamwilsonbb.com. Um, and then if you want to keep up what's going on with me, Instagram is always a good place. It's a uh, CW team Wilson. Um, I have a hard time keeping up with my Instagram messages like I should. Um, so if you want to, if you want coaching, send it through the website, not through Instagram messages. Cause sometimes it gets away from me really, really something fierce. <laughs> um, I bet. No, I, 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 uh, I, I, you know, if I have one new year's resolution this year is to post more frequently on Instagram. Sometimes I get away from uh, social media um it's easy for me to sometimes be like oh i haven't posted in a week or two but that's my that's my i've resolved to post more on social media this year and kind of give a little bit more a glimpse into what's going on <laughs> no absolutely i'm kind of jealous of you being that far away from social media to be honest because i'm sure it's helping with your low stress as well uh, so for the book where will that be available when it is do you know um i was going to do the pre-sale just off of my website okay um cool. Yeah, I was going to do the pre-sale and then I was going to list it on Amazon thereafter. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to do the pre-sale. Um, I'm going to pre-sale by April 1st and then maybe even pre-sale before if I everything goes according to plan. Um, but uh, my hope is that once again, we can get it out there and coaches can start using it in their contest seasons to, like, to help with clients and clients can use it for their shows or whatever you want to use it for. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that one out there and just getting it in people's hands. Fantastic. Cliff, this has been great. I'm, I'm going to make sure it is less than two years before I reach out and bring you on again. <laughs> again, I don't know how that really happened uh, because you're one of my favorite people to talk to. Uh, but thank you so much for your time. I hope the best for your training and kind of your, your kind of health and well-being and everything. And I'm sure all the listeners are the same, but uh, definitely guys give Cliff a hand for coming on and thank you again. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though. It's reality and we know how to do it. And we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight-week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The Minicup movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.